Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. How to overcome the most destructive force in marriages. This week we're starting a series called The Battle Within. We're kind of... uh, Riding on the buzz and the hype of the Spider-Man movie that uh, came out a week or so ago. And we are going to do a four-part series starting today. Uh, We have cards available if you would like to pick one up uh, to invite a friend. Uh, Next week it's going to be the battle within and your relationships. Winning the battle for healthy and satisfying relationships. The third week is going to be the battle within and your heart. Overcoming the enemy within. And then on June the 2nd, the battle within and the web of sin. How to win the most ultimate battle of your life. So take one of these, invite a friend. Uh, We do have some film clips that we will be showing from the Spider-Man film. We in no way are endorsing the film in doing this, but we're picking up uh, some of the thoughts there and using them to help uh, illustrate the truth from God's Word that we will be sharing with you. Uh, I understand it is PG-13 and it's not a child-friendly movie, so uh, again, uh, we're not endorsing the movie as such. But today... The most destructive force in marriages. Now there are many forces seeking to destroy your marriage. And it seems from the statistics that they're doing a pretty good job. In fact, first time marriages, 45 to 50% end in divorce. That's basically one out of every two marriages will end in divorce. Second marriages, it goes up to 60 to 67% of second marriages end in divorce. And then when you go to third marriages, 70 to 73% of third marriages end in divorce. There are many destructive forces at work against your marriage. One is the economic stress and pressures of our day. How many couples fight over money? She says, well, there's always money to do what you want to do, but not to do what I want to do. Meaning there's money to buy a new boat, but not money to refix the house and redo the living room and buy a new sofa. How many couples fight over the pressures involved with work? Corporations today demand the 60 to 80 hour work week from their employees. And this puts a tremendous strain on marriages. You're always at work. You're never home. And when you are at work, your mind's always at work. Even when you're home, you're not at home. And there are multitudes of other pressures coming to bear against your marriage. But I don't want to talk to you this morning about all of those pressures. I want to talk to you about the most destructive force in your marriage. The one force that will destroy your marriage quicker than any of the others. The one force that if you will overcome it, none of the other forces can destroy your marriage. And it is so destructive because it does not come from out, but it comes from within. Now this force is so strong that 
even non-Christians recognize the power of its destructiveness. And in the Spider-Man movie, uh, Peter Parker, who is Spider-Man, is talking to his aunt, Aunt May. And she's kind of the moral compass in the Spider-Man movies, if you're seeing them. And he has a surprise about his girlfriend, MJ, that he wants to talk to his aunt about. Now in the conversation that ensues, she approaches and talks about this destructive force in marriage. The most destructive force in marriage, she kind of approaches it from the positive side when she tells him that a husband must be understanding and put his wife before himself. The most destructive force in marriage is selfishness. Selfishness. Now, statistics bear this out again, I believe. Notice, first-time marriage is 45 to 50 in in divorce. When you go to second-time marriages, it goes up from 60 to 67%. Now, why is that? You'd think they'd learn something in the first marriage, don't you? <laughs> well, the problem is, they think the problem is outside. They think it has to do with the external forces. They think, well, if I just marry somebody else, you know, it'll be better. Or if we're just in a different situation, it will be better. But you know what they take into the second marriage? Same old selfishness that they had in the first marriage. Well, you got two people now bringing selfishness into a marriage, and so 60 to 67 end up in divorce. And then you go to the third marriage. They didn't learn on the first two what the problem was, and so they take it into the third marriage, and then you have 70 to 73%. Ending in divorce. And the problem is selfishness. Now, all Aunt May is doing is echoing what the Apostle Paul said over 2,000 years ago. The biblical truth about the most destructive force in marriage, which is selfishness. But Paul not only deals with that, but he gives us seven keys to overcome selfishness. In marriage. Take your Bibles, turn over to Colossians chapter 3. How you can overcome the most destructive force, selfishness, in marriage. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 12, and we will read through verse 19. In respect for the Word of God, I will ask you to stand. Paul says, So to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You may be seated and may God bless the reading and the hearing and most of all, the obeying of His Word. 
Seven keys to overcoming the most destructive force in marriage. Key number one, surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. Verse 17, Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now remember, there is no Greek word for person. That's the Latin word, persona. But the Greek word for person is not there, so they use the word name. But it means person. So to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus means to do all according to the person of the Lord Jesus. Well, what does that mean? That means you do everything according to what Jesus would have you do. And so that means you surrender for your life to His will for you. That means you say, Lord, not what I want, but what you want for my life. Not my way, but your way. When you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, you have to give up your desires, your goals, your ambitions, and let go and receive His goals, His ambitions, His desires, His will for your life. You need to do the same thing in marriage. You need to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in your marriage. That means, number one, you need to surrender your expectations in marriage to Him. When we come to marriage, all of us have expectations. Many times, unspoken expectations. We picked up somewhere along the way about what we think a wife should be, what we think a husband should be. And rarely, if ever, does that spouse meet those expectations that we have. Well, I thought he was going to be more romantic when we got married. I thought he was going to continue to write me those poems and bring me those flowers and ask me out on those dates. Well, I thought he was going to continue to be considerate and open the door for me, etc., etc. Expectations. Well, I thought she was going to continue to look like she was all made up every time I saw her with a makeup on and a hair just right. And I thought she was going to always look that way when I came home from work and every other time. I thought she just woke up every day looking beautiful. Expectations. Or expectations that are unmet leads to frustration. It leads to anger. It leads to bitterness. And so what you have to do is surrender those expectations to God. You say, God, I do not have any expectations of my husband or my wife. I'm going to surrender those to you. I don't have any expectations of my marriage. I'm going to surrender those to you. And when you don't have any expectations, guess what? You're happy whenever he does anything nice. Whenever he's romantic, you're excited. Whenever she looks good, you're excited. Also, you know you need to surrender your will to His will for your marriage. Let me tell you something. Ladies, I'm going to give you a little insight into that man in the mirror. Men are mission-minded. And I don't mean missional in the sense of foreign missions, but they have goals in mind. Men want to accomplish. And during those days of engagement, you are His mission. <laughs> Getting that wife. Getting that perfect woman as my wife. Well, once he accomplishes that mission, guess what? He moves on to the next mission, which is generally his work. He wants to become the best he can be at work and accomplish what he can accomplish at work. And so work becomes his goal and his mission. Now, that may be our will, men, but that's not God's will for your marriage. A man's will is to put his work before his marriage, his family. But guys, let me tell you, your wife is geared toward relationships. 
And during those engagement days, her relationship with you is supreme. It's all important. And even after you get married, she's still into that relationship. Until... Yep, you guessed it. Little Junior comes along. And then guess what relationship starts soaking up her energy and soaking up her time and her attention. And ladies, if you're not careful... You start putting that relationship and the relationship with those other children ahead of your relationship to your husband. And God's will is for both the husband and wife to have their relationship with each other as the priority and as a supreme human relationship. And so you've got to surrender your will to God's will for your marriage. You say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my marriage to You. I want what you want for my marriage. I surrender my will, my expectations to you. I desire for you to be the Lord in my home. Now this first step is the most crucial because it hits directly at the cause of the destruction of marriages and that's I-ism or me-ism or selfishness. This couple was celebrating 50 years of satisfying, fulfilling marriage. And they were talking and someone came up who was at the celebration and said now to the man, what do you contribute to, what do you attribute to this great successful marriage? And he said, well for me and my part, he said, I have sought to never be selfish in our marriage. He says, you know... There is no I in the word marriage. And then they turned to his wife and said, what about you? She said, well, for me and my part, I've determined never to correct his spelling. (laughs) Now, this guy might not know how to spell, but he did have the truth about the key to a good marriage. Not to be selfish. Put yourself second. Put your spouse ahead of yourself. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Let Him be the head of your life and the head of your home. Alright, second step, second key. Get God's perspective on your marriage. Now over in the first couple of verses of chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. What's Paul saying? He says, set your mind on the things above. I think what he's saying is get God's perspective on life. See things from God's viewpoint. See your marriage from God's perspective. How does God view your marriage? Do you have God's perspective on your marriage? Well, let's find out. In your heart of hearts, answer this question. What is the primary purpose for your marriage? What is your primary purpose for your marriage? What are you seeking the most out of your marriage? Happiness? Fulfillment? Do you know what God's primary purpose for your marriage is? That you would glorify Him. In that marriage. That people would look at your marriage and they would think well of God. That they would look at your marriage and say, my, what a great God they serve. Look at their marriage. 
Nowhere does God say His purpose for your marriage is happiness. Listen now. Nowhere does God say His purpose for your marriage is happiness. Now happiness may be a byproduct, but folks, it cannot be the goal of a marriage. You know why? Because no person is capable of giving you lasting happiness and satisfaction. Nobody can do that. Not the best husband or the best wife in the world is capable of doing that. Only Jesus can give you lasting satisfaction and lasting joy and lasting fulfillment. Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. The only way you're going to have full joy is in your relationship to Jesus Christ. Not in your relationship to your wife. Not in your relationship to your husband. They're not capable of giving you lasting joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction. Now, happiness will come at times as a byproduct, I believe, of a healthy marriage. But it's not always going to be there. It's impossible. But God's purpose for your marriage is not your happiness, but... To glorify Himself. When that wife stays in that marriage, though that husband at times is very unlovable, that glorifies God. When they see her being the patient, loving, kind wife to a man who is anything but loving to her, they say, man, God's grace is at work in her life. They know she's staying in that marriage because she promised before God and these witnesses to live together as husband and wife. And she's sticking with that in the good times and the bad times. That brings honor and glory to God. Second purpose for God in your marriage is to conform you to the image of Jesus. It is a crucible. And I know of no better crucible than marriage to knock off the rough edges. Paul says... God causes all things to work together for good. That's right, even marriage is included in the all things. You know, like the lady who was at the, at the garden club meeting, and she was way in the back, and the speaker was speaking, and the speaker said, how many of you ladies want to mother your husband? And this lady way in the back raised her hand, and the speaker said, you want to mother your husband? She said, no, no, I thought you said smother. <laughs> God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. God has promised to work everything out in your life to make you more like Jesus. And it's been my experience, there's no better place than marriage for that to take place. Because there's no greater place for selfishness to reveal itself than in the marriage relationship. Do I have an amen? I mean, no better place for it to show itself, is it? I mean, ladies, you'll do things for your children willingly, sacrificially, joyfully, that you'll look at your husband and say, What? (laughs) You're on your own shirt. Husbands will do the same things. Man, it's in that husband and wife relationship that that selfishness comes to light as nothing else. And that's why God wants to use it to show us where we're selfish 
and to show us where we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. So get God's perspective on your marriage. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in your marriage. Third key to overcoming the most destructive force in marriage is be self-giving. Look in verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, put on. Now, he's speaking metaphorically when he says, put on compassion, put on uh, love. What's he talking about? Well, it's the idea of putting on some clothes and acting a certain way. You know, Peter... Parker in Spider-Man, when he has on his Spider-Man outfit, he acts like Spider-Man. He doesn't go and act like Spider-Man when he's in his normal clothes. For those of you who date back a few years, Superman. Right? Clark Kent never acted like Superman until he was in his Superman outfit, right? Put on Superman. Put on the Spider-Man. Act like a Spider-Man. Put on. Start acting compassionate. Start acting kind. Start acting humble. Start acting gentle. Start acting patient. These are not feelings. These are actions. These are choices of our will. Now how much better would your marriage be if you started acting kind? If you started acting patient? If you started acting compassionate? If you started acting gentle? If you started acting in humility? And I think that equals self-giving. Put it on. Start doing it. You know, you ask, not what can I get out of my marriage, but what can I give in my marriage? How can I help my spouse be more fulfilled in their life and in this marriage? Again, our natural tendency is to not be self-giving, but self-seeking. Eric Snyder is a pastor and he tells a story one time about a wedding he was involved in. And at the rehearsal night, uh, the groom kind of asked him to come over and said to him, said, look, you know that part of the service where you say that, uh, you know, I promise to, to, to honor and to love and to cherish her? He said, let's make a deal. I'll give you $100 if you just leave that out. So Reverend Snyder took the man's $100 and went on his way. Well, the next day at the wedding service, when it came time for the vows, he looked at the groom and he said, do you promise before God and these witnesses to supremely love your wife? To adore her and bow down before her? Do you promise to so honor her that you will feed her breakfast in bed every morning? Do you promise to cherish her so much so that you're captivated in her love continually? And that eternally before God you will promise never to even look at another woman as long as you both shall live? And the guy kind of sheepishly looked at his wife and he looked at the preacher and he looked at all the people and he said, yes. And then he leaned over to the preacher and said, I thought we had a deal. And the preacher handed him his hundred dollars back and said, she gave me a better deal. (laughs) You see, the selfishness comes out, doesn't it? 
But the way to deal with that selfishness is be self-giving. Put on. Start acting. And by the grace of God, you can. Ask not what your marriage can do for you, but what you can do for your marriage. Ask not what your spouse can do for you, but what you can do for your spouse. Fourth key. Be forbearing and forgiving. Be forbearing and forgiving. The word forbear means to hold back. Now, your spouse is going to hurt you in the course of your marriage. And probably many times. That's just the nature of human relationships. He may forget Valentine's sometime. He may forget your birthday. He may forget the anniversary. She's going to do things that are going to hurt you as well. Well, when those things happen, you've got to let go. You've got to forget. You have got to move on. You've got to be forbearing and you've got to be forgiving. You've got to let go of that anger, let go of that bitterness that your selfishness wants you to hold on to. You need to hold back and not just come out in a barrage of of angry words. They're going to say things in anger. They're going to hurt. You've got to forbear and you've got to forgive. This other lady was celebrating her 50th anniversary and she was talking to this young lady who was there. And and she said, well, what what do you account for your success in marriage? And the older lady said, well, the day we got married, I purposed that I would make a list of ten of my husband's worst faults and for the sake of our marriage, I would look over these faults. And so the young lady said, well... What were some of the faults you wrote down? The older lady said, Well, you know, to be honest, I never got around to making the list. But every time he would do something that would just make me hopping mad, I would think to myself, Man, he's lucky that that's one of the ten on my list. (laughs) Pretty wise, wasn't it? Be forbearing. Be forgiving. Love covers a multitude of sins. Next key. Be loving. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Again, this idea of putting on, acting a certain way. And what do we read in 1 Corinthians 13 about love? Love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love does not remember wrong done against it. Again, it's the idea of acting this way. Put on, start acting loving. Make a commitment that you will act loving toward your spouse no matter what. Next key. Spend time in the Word and in prayer. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, and with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Now, if you're going to be able to do this, you're going to have to have the strength of the Lord. You cannot do it in your own strength, right? And the way you avail yourselves of the strength of God is spending time with Him in the Word. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the Spirit of Christ 
fill you and control you. Look to Him for the grace that you will need to do these keys, to be patient, to be kind, to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, to be loving. You cannot do these on your own. You need to spend time with Him on a regular basis, daily basis, in prayer and in the Word to receive the strength and grace you need to be the spouse God's called you to be. Selfishness dies hard. We need the Spirit of God to crush it within us. And spending time in the Word and in prayer will facilitate this crushing of our self-life. And then the last key, surrender to God's design for marriage. Verses 18 and 19. Husbands, be wives, be subject to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. God's design is for husbands to be the servant leader in the home, loving their wife as Christ loves the church. That is a vital key, I'm convinced, for a strong and healthy marriage. God is the designer and architect of homes. He knows how to build a strong home. We need to follow His blueprint. And His blueprint says, Husbands, be a servant leader in your home. Loving your wife as Christ loves a church. That's self-giving. That's an agape love. God's love toward us is a giving love. And wives, you are to be His submissive helper, submitting unto Him as unto the Lord. Now we're not talking about slavery, but being His helpmate, being His helper, bringing your abilities and your talents under His direction for the strengthening of the whole family. But unless we follow God's design... Our families will be weakened. But if we will follow His design, our families will be strengthened. The most destructive force in marriage is selfishness. Each person's seeking their own will, seeking their own pleasure, seeking their own fulfillment, and not putting their spouse before themselves. A key to a lasting, fulfilling marriage is self-sacrifice. Selflessness. Randy Curley and Victoria Ingram were scheduled to get married in February of 1994. But after their engagement, Randy found out that because of his diabetes that he'd had since he was 12 years old, His kidneys were failing. And if he didn't get a kidney transplant, he was going to die. Well, obviously this was unsettling news. And so it was so unsettling and it was such drastic news that he brought his fiancée, Victoria, to the doctor's appointment so the doctor could explain to her the impact that this news was going to have on their coming marriage. And so the doctor explained to her and to Randy that there are... 4,000 kidneys available every year for transplant and 36,000 people who need the transplants. Usually family members are donors, but Randy's family had been checked out and nobody was a suitable donor. And so Victoria just said, well, why don't you test me? 
So they tested her and she didn't think any more about it. A few weeks later they got a call and the doctor said that, Victoria, you're a perfect match for Randy. And so they scheduled to get married and the next day have the kidney transplanted. Well, because of uh, some complications in the procedure to get her tested, she could not do the transplant immediately. But a couple of months after their marriage, they went into the hospital, five-hour operation. She gave him one of her kidneys. It is believed to be the first transplant ever between husband and wife. But Victoria had to literally self-sacrifice herself, a kidney, in order for their marriage to survive. Now, you'll probably not be called on to sacrifice a kidney for your marriage, but let me tell you, your sacrifices are no less real. And you will be called on in a no less certain fashion to make sacrifices if your marriage is going to be healthy and is going to last. Are you willing to make those sacrifices? Let's pray. Father, we look to You to accomplish Your will in our lives through Your Word, to enable us by Your grace to be giving in our marriages. That You might be honored, that You might be glorified and lifted up. In Jesus' name, Amen. As I alluded to in the message... There is no way you can live this self-giving, self-sacrificing life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ being within you. We just do not have the ability to do it. But the Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you will have Christ in your life, and if you will look to Him, He will enable you to live this life. And to have Christ in your life means that you come to a place in your life that you recognize that you don't have Him in your life, that you might know about Him. You might have been a member of a church. might be a member now, but you don't know Him personally. You don't have that personal relationship. But you realize that He is alive today, that He not only died for your sins, but He came alive from the dead. You realize He did everything necessary to accomplish the forgiveness of your sins and to give you eternal life. And you surrender your will to His will as Lord of your life. You ask Him to come into your life as your Lord and as your Savior. The Bible says, Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not complicated. It's simply trust and faith in the person of Jesus. If this is your heart's desire, if you'll just step out as we sing, I'll be glad to share with you. We have trained counselors. But once Christ is within you, then you have all the power in the heavens to enable you to live in a way that will strengthen your marriage. Stand and let's sing together.